0: On the first day of the third month, after the Israelites had left Egypt, on that very day they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my commandment, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be, my, will be uh, to, for me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation these are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So Moses went back and summoned these, the the elders of the people, and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. The people all responded together, "We will do everything the Lord has said." So Moses brought their answers back to the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, "I am going to I am going to come to you in a dense cloud, so that the people will hear me speaking with you." And will always put their trust in you. Then Moses told the Lord what the people had said. And the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes and be ready by the third day. Because on that day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Put limits for the people around the mountain and tell them, Be careful that you do not approach the mountain or touch a foot of it whoever touches the mountain is to be put to death they are to be stoned or shot with arrows not a hand is to be laid on them no person or animal shall be permitted to live only when the ram's horn sounds a long blast may they approach the mountain after Moses had gone down to the mountain gone down from the mountain to the people he consecrated them and they washed their clothes and then he said to the people prepare yourselves for the third day abstain from sexual relations on the morning of the third day there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast everyone in the camp trembled and then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God and they stood at the foot of the mountain Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up and it was and it from it like smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain began to tremble violently. As the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. The Lord descended to the top of the mountain And called Moses to the top of the mountain. So Moses went up. And the Lord said to him, Go down and warn the people so that they do not force their way through to see the Lord, and many of them perish. Even the priests who approach the Lord must consecrate themselves, or the Lord will break out against them. Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up Mount Sinai because you yourself warned us put limits around the mountain and set it apart as holy. The Lord replied, Go down and bring Aaron up with you. But the priests and the people must not force their way through to come up to the Lord or he will break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. And God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourselves an image in the form of anything in heaven above or in earth below or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of their parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. But showing love to a thousand generations for those who love me and who and keep my commandments you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name remember the sabbath day by keeping it holy six days you shall labor and do all your work but on the seventh day is the sabbath to the Lord your God on it you shall You shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor shall your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honour your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbour. You shall not covet your neighbour's house. You shall not covet your neighbour's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbour. When the people saw the thunder and the lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning.
1: I grew up going to a church that ran a, a very traditional type of service, met in a very traditional type of church building. And at the back back wall of the church, there were two replica tablets of the Ten Commandments. And so I knew what the commandments were, but I never really understood what they meant for me personally. Um, even people in Australia who have nothing to do personally with church or Christianity Um, probably have at least heard of the Ten Commandments because they're such a well-known part of the Bible. So clearly they're important, but why? Are they the ten most important commandments in in the Bible that God cares about? They're the the big thing in the Bible that God cares about. Are they a helpful moral guide for, for anyone, whether Christian or not? Or are they simply relics of an old covenant, obsolete under the new covenant? that Jesus has brought in. Well, the Ten Commandments and also the preceding events of chapter 19, which Paul read for us just now, help us to to understand what it means to live in relationship with God, both for Israel under the old covenant back then and for us today under the new covenant that Jesus has ushered in. You can see if you pick up an outline as you've walked in, there's a... of a sermon run sheet on the inside page there, you can see that we're going to be looking at three aspects of what it means to be people in relationship with God. So firstly, being fearful of a holy God, secondly, being obedient to a perfect God, and thirdly and so importantly, living as people who have been redeemed by a gracious God. These are all really crucial to understanding our identity as God's people. So firstly, point one on the outline there, fearful of a holy God. The Israelites arrive at Mount Sinai at the start of chapter 19, which means that God has kept the promise that he made to Moses way back in chapter 3, that he would bring the people out of slavery in Egypt to this mountain. And he's not just brought them to the mountain, but God himself is going to come down on Mount Sinai, and he's going to come down in the sight of all the people, verse 11. They're going to hear God's voice, which is exciting, but it's also very serious as well because God's presence, it's not just something that they can lightly enter into. God tells them they need to prepare themselves. They need to wash their clothes. They need to abstain from sexual relations, not because sex between a husband and a wife is a bad thing at all, but because it 's important for them to focus their devotion towards God at this time they 're told not even to touch the mountain as God descends on it because that would be an offense worthy of death, in fact, the Lord himself will break out against them if they do that, and when god 's presence comes down on the mountain it's fearsome, isn't it 's fearsome isn 't it there 's thunder and lightning there 's Thick cloud, loud trumpet blasts, there's smoke, there's fire. We read that the mountain itself trembles. God's voice is heard. And at the end of chapter 20, we read that the people are terrified by this. They're trembling with fear at what they're seeing because they've come into the presence of a holy God. And it's a terrifying experience for them. They're rightly fearful. Of a holy god. I wonder who's the most famous or most powerful person that you've ever met in your life? Most people seem to have a a story or two that they can tell of someone famous that they've rubbed shoulders with sometime. I don't, I haven't met anyone (laughs) famous really. I've lived for thirty years and managed to avoid meeting anyone famous. Although Alicia got to meet Stephen Marshall a couple of weeks ago, which was which was pretty cool. You can ask her about that if you want. Um, but if you've met someone a few rungs further up the social ladder than you are, it's quite a sense of occasion, isn't it, when that happens? Even if, but even if that person has a higher social standing than you do, even if more people know their name, even if there is a sense of, of awe, it does feel a bit daunting being in their presence. At the end of the day, you're both equals, aren't you? In a human relationship, uh, there's, it's not like one person is... Objectively better than the other person. But not with God. In our relationship with God, we're not equals, not even close. To be in the presence of a holy God is something entirely different to, to even being in the presence of the most powerful person on earth. And this understanding of just how different God is to us, just how unequal we are, is so important for understanding our relationship with Him. It's why we worship God, not just for an hour here on a Sunday, but with all of our lives, devoting ourselves to serving and honoring Him, making Him the focal point of our lives. See, everything in the Christian life flows from believing that God is worthy of all praise and all honor. We ran our Hilltop Praise worship night a couple of weeks ago. It was a fantastic night. The basement team did a brilliant job of running it. But we didn't run it to showcase how good our musicians are. We did it to declare how great and how holy our God is. And music is a great gift that God has given us to be able to do that. So we need to be fearful of a holy God, but it's a healthy fear. Notice in chapter twenty. Verse 20, Moses says to the people, Don't be afraid. You don't have to be afraid because you fear God. Which seems a little bit counterintuitive, but what it means is that a healthy, respectful fear of God, which overflows into obedient worship, means that we don't have to be terrified of God because he's on our side. Which brings us to obedience, point two. Being in a relationship with God means being obedient to a perfect God, which is where the Ten Commandments in chapter 20 come into it. So these are are ten instructions about how God wants his people to live. If we have a look back at chapter 19, verse 5, God has told them, "'If you obey me and keep my covenant, you'll be my treasured possession.'" and in the remainder of the book of Exodus, as well as Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the books that follow, what we see is that God proceeds to then give them over 600 laws that explain the terms of this covenant. And these first 10 laws that he gives them really embody the law as a whole. They're the big picture laws that God gives them. The instructions that follow will show how these 10 commandments play out and and apply in various specific situations, some of which are uh, unique for that time and culture. The Ten Commandments, though, they give a more broad, general picture of how God wants his people to live. Interestingly, when Jesus comes onto the scene many years later, we see in Mark's Gospel, in chapter 12, someone comes up to Jesus and, and asks him, of all the commandments in the Old Testament, which is the most important one? And Jesus tells him, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind, and all your strength. That's the most important commandment. And the second most important is to love your neighbor as yourself. And we see see this pattern being reflected in the 10 commandments. You've got the the first four commandments, which really focus on what it means to love God. So worshiping him alone, honoring his name. And the, the other six commandments show us how we love God by loving each other or loving our neighbor. But these are more than just commandments about how to live. It's more than just 10 rules that God has given his people just to, to keep them in line and keep them out of trouble. They're actually 10 revelations about who God is. They take us to the heart of who God is and, and what it looks like to rightly respond to him and to live as people in relationship with him. So the first commandment, for example, verse three, tells us that God is God alone. There's nothing and and no one worthy of, of coming between us and God. The sixth commandment, don't murder, there in verse 13, reminds us that God is the giver of life, the God who made people in his own image, a God who values human life greatly. The seventh commandment, you shall not commit adultery, reveals God as being perfectly faithful. Why shouldn't we give false testimony, verse 16? Because our God is perfectly trustworthy, perfectly honest. So by obeying these commandments, Israel are living out their identity as a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. They're displaying God to the rest of the world. And likewise, For us as a church today, we we fast forward through to the New Testament and in 1 Peter chapter two, we read that the church has much the same identity today as Israel did back then, being God's chosen people, his royal priesthood. And so by being a community that visibly loves God, loves each other, loves the people around us, what we're doing is we're displaying God to the world. And that's what makes us an attractive community, a community that we would want to invite other people to be a part of, a community that other people would want to be a part of. And on the flip side, when we get it wrong, it makes us an unattractive community, a community that we would never want to invite people into and that they would never want to come into in any case. So as as we live out these 10 commandments in community together, we're providing a powerful witness to the watching world around us. Now, rules can seem onerous, can't they? We had a a kids' talk at the 9am service where I asked the kids if any of them enjoyed rules and didn't get too many hands going up for that one. And it's probably, probably the same a bit for adults as well because rules restrict our freedom, don't they? But actually, true freedom comes from being the people who God made us to be, reflecting who he is. And that's, that's the direction that the Ten Commandments push us in. That's what they offer us, being the people who God has made us to be. So the commandments are revelations about who God is. They're also revelations about who we are as well. Because when you think about it, we wouldn't need Ten Commandments unless there was a fair chance that we were likely to break them. A bit like we wouldn't need speed limits on our roads if everyone could be trusted to to drive safely. So for example, the first and second commandments tell us that our hearts are inclined to to worship things other than God, to put other things before God. So maybe that's work or family or, or money. They're not bad things to enjoy, but when they allow us to let God slip into second or third or fourth place in our lives, they become very dangerous, being told in chapter 20, verse eight, to remember the Sabbath day, warns us of our tendency to to idolize work and to not devote the time to God that he's worthy of. Verses 15 and 17, don't steal or covet your neighbor's things, tells us that we'll want what's not rightfully ours, and sometimes we'll be willing to, to steal or just bend the rules a little bit to get those things of course, Jesus goes even further. He takes us right to the heart of these commands. He tells me, I can't give myself a pass mark on these just because I've never murdered someone or never committed adultery. Because if I've ever hated someone or if I've ever glanced at someone lustfully, then I've disobeyed these commands at a heart level. And it's confronting, isn't it? Because when these commandments are understood, not just as tangible words and actions that we do, but as, as an issue of the heart, they show us just how far short that we fall. They show us that we aren't perfectly obedient. They show us our sin. The Apostle Paul writes these words in Romans chapter 3, verse 20. No one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our own sin. So no one is is actually good enough to obey the law perfectly. So we need to be fearful of a holy God, and we need to be obedient to a perfect God. Now, that alone, that was my basic understanding of Christianity as a teenager, just that we need to fear a holy God and we need to obey a perfect God. And it left me anxious. It left me with, with no real sense of joy, no, no sense of a relationship with God. All I knew of was an unapproachable, judgmental God whose standards were, were far too high for me to ever reach. Perhaps you're, you're here this morning and your picture of God is something similar to that as well the crucial piece that was missing for me was that a relationship with God isn't just about being fearfully obedient to a a perfect and a holy God, but it's in response to being redeemed by a loving and gracious God. And that's right here in this passage. God's God's holiness and, and the need for covenant obedience are set in the context of grace, grace meaning something that we haven't deserved So in chapter 19, verses 4 to 6, before God confronts Israel with his his holy presence, he reminds them of his gracious provision. He tells them, I've rescued you from slavery. I've chosen you. I've set you aside as my treasured possession. And before he gives them his 10 commandments, he reminds them again in chapter 20, verse 2, of his gracious provision. He tells them, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of slavery in Egypt. He doesn't appear to them while they're in slavery and and give them a whole lot of laws to obey to earn their freedom. No, he's telling them this is what it means to live as my redeemed people on this side of slavery. But it leaves us with a problem still, doesn't it? Because the covenant depends on God's people obeying him and we know, not only from Israel's experience, as the, the rest of the Old Testament carries out, but from our own experience as well, that we don't fully obey these commands. Sin gets in the way. Even if you're, you're here this morning just checking out church, not, not necessarily identifying as a Christian, in which case the command to, to obey God with your whole heart might seem a little bit irrelevant. Even still, you know that at a heart level, you don't always love other people as you love yourself. You might do an an excellent job of of living generously and, and kindly, but our hearts are always going to be biased towards our own interests, aren't they? And that's the effect of sin. We don't love God, and we don't love our neighbor in the way that we ought to, but someone did. Jesus came to fulfill God's law, to establish a new covenant. He was the only person who could ever perfectly obey the law, the only person whose life and whose heart mirrored the Ten Commandments. And he gave up his life in our place on the cross to take the punishment for our failure to obey these commandments ourselves. We heard a moment ago the the confronting words of Romans chapter 3. Later on in the letter, Paul writes this in chapter 8, verse 3. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. Obeying the law can't save us because we'll always fall hopelessly short. Only Jesus can save us. So... If you've trusted in Jesus, if you've accepted his death in your place, handed your life over to him, then your sins are forgiven. Which means that that we can approach our holy God. Jesus not only died for us, but he was raised again from the dead. And so we approach God the Father through God the Son, our mediator. That's what it means to live under the new covenant. We can approach God in a way that Israel couldn't. The writer of the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, in chapter 12, he compares what it means to approach God under the old covenant and then to approach God under the new covenant. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them. But... You have come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. Grace is so important for for us to, to understand God's holiness and to understand the need for our own obedience. It shows us a loving and welcoming God, not an unfairly demanding God. But it doesn't mean that God's holiness is something to consider lightly. It doesn't mean that just because we're covered by grace that disobeying God is okay. So here's what we read in the following verses of Hebrews chapter 12. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? Let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. God is no less holy and no less worthy of obedience today than he was in Moses' day. Grace doesn't mean that we don't need to treat God as holy. It doesn't mean that we don't need to obey him. It empowers us to live for him as we ought. The cross shows us God's love. It shows us why God is worth living for. So, The Ten Commandments are instructions. They're instructions about what it means to live as God's people, to to be the people God has made us to be. They're revelations of who God is. They're also revelations about who we are. And finally, they're also promises. Towards the end of the Old Testament, in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 31, God promises that he's going to make a new covenant with his people. It's going to be Unlike the old covenant, it's going to be a covenant where he writes his law in people's minds and their hearts. And we see in the New Testament that in this new covenant, God's people are empowered by his Holy Spirit. So if you've trusted in Jesus, then you're not only forgiven and made right with God, but you are filled with God's Holy Spirit, who transforms you day by day to, to make you more like God, to, to daily reflect God more and more in your heart and life, to bring these Ten Commandments to fruition. Now, it may seem slow going. At times, there'll be, there'll be times where we just feel like that, that work God is doing in us is taking so long. But it's a promise that God is bringing into reality, a promise that will finally be fulfilled when we dwell with him forever in heaven. No sin, just a perfect relationship with the holy God as his chosen people. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you great thanks that you have revealed yourself to us through these 10 commandments, that you have shown us who you are, that you've shown us who we are and, and who it is that you've called us to be. And we thank you most of all for Jesus, the the only one who could perfectly keep your law, uh, the one who has paved the way for us to come into relationship with you. We pray that you would help us to live in awe of your holiness, that that we would uphold you, we would treat you as holy as we ought to, that that we would live lives of worship of you. Also, that we would live obediently, that we would live in imitation of the, the perfect God who we worship, and that, that you would be helping us to, to more and more take on the godly character that, that the Ten Commandments illustrate. Now, but Father, we, we acknowledge that we fall short in so many ways, and we thank you that ultimately we are people who live under grace. And uh, we ask that you would be reminding us of that day by day, that you would be helping us to live not in terror of your judgment, but in gratefulness for your salvation and and that that would be equipping us to live lives that bring honor and glory to you, both individually and as a church family. In Jesus' name, amen.